Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jesse Jorgensen. I'm part of the pastoral staff here at East Hills. And normally when I stand in front of you, I get to carry a guitar with me. And so uh, I, my small group joked with me this week that maybe I should just, you know, pick a few chords while I speak. And um, actually, Matt, do you mind if I do that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, but no, I'm looking forward to, to speaking uh, with you this morning and to sharing. Uh, we've been in this series on the Beatitudes, and last week, Pastor Josh spoke from Matthew 5, verse 9, that says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And today, I want to explore with you a little bit more about what it can mean for us to be peacemakers and to work for peace, like this scripture says. Uh, some time ago, I was able to attend a training put on by Alliance Peacemakers, which is an organization connected to our denomination that works to help people resolve conflict in a God-honoring way. And a lot of what I'm going to share with you comes from their uh, materials and from their, the principles that they share. And so I ordered a bunch of these pamphlets, uh, Pursuing Peace Together, and they are in the foyer. So if some of what I share with you today is helpful. I'd encourage you to pick this up as a resource. This has been a helpful resource to me over the years, and so these are available in the foyer. Um, in addition to the peacemaking material, I also am going to share some principles I learned from this book, Unlove, by Nathan Steele. Now, Nathan Steele actually happens to be my cousin, and so I was chuckling to myself as I was reading this and, and preparing for this talk. I had some questions, and so I, I thought, what a privilege it is to be reading a book and be able to just text the author of the book. And so I'm grateful for Nathan's help um, helping answer some of my questions. But when uh, he and his wife, Lacey, they run a ministry in Texas called Cultivate Relationships. And when he heard that I was going to be speaking on this topic, he actually sent me a few books to give away. And so I'm going to give away two of these books this morning. And the way I thought about what would be a fun way to give away these books, and the way that I came up with is two of you picked up a bulletin that has a smiley face sticker on the back where the notes are. So who has that sticker? <laughs> all right, all right, yeah, perfect. Josh, would you mind running yes. these books around? Yes, yes. All right, we have two winners. <laughs> well, for those of you who didn't win a book, if you're interested in it, uh, they are available on Amazon, and I checked yesterday to make sure that was true, and they are at a very reasonable price. So if you want to pick up one of those books, I'd encourage you to do that. It's called Unlove by Nathan Steele. Um, and then, as in addition to those two resources, it's very important to me that we understand that the principles we talk about today are ultimately found in Scripture, because the Bible truly is the authority that we look to in our lives as we're navigating through life. And so I'm going to be sharing some Scripture passages along the way today, um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's where this material comes from. But let me just pray for us as we begin. God, I'm struck by that story that Matt told. Um, of this woman who listens to the gospel music because it brings her peace. And we just recognize, Lord, that, that, that you are so like that, God. You are our rock. You are the one who grounds us. You're our anchor. And you truly do bring us peace. You, you keep us, um, you, keep, you still our hearts. And today as we talk about peacemaking, God, as we think about conflict, I do pray that you would give us wisdom to engage in conflict in a way that brings honor to you, that we could act like your children to be peacemakers, God, to participate with you in, in offering peace and bringing that to conflict, to relationships, bringing your peace to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. So we've already seen that God blesses the peacemakers, and as his children, he actually calls us to be people of peace. He, he has even tasked us with being his ambassadors. Listen to this passage of scripture from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 through 21. It says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for God when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. For we who know God, he has reconciled us to himself, making peace between us and him. And he is seeking to reconcile the whole world to himself. And he's using us to do it. But we really cannot do this if we're not for making peace. Another passage of scripture, Romans 12, 18, tells us, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So as far as it depends on us, as far as our choices and, and our actions and things we can control, we are to live at peace with everyone. And yet, this is not easy because conflict is common. In fact, when I mentioned that I'm going to be talking about conflict today, does, did that make you anxious? Did a chill go down your spine maybe a little bit? Uh, maybe a very recent or a distant bad memory comes to mind. Uh, maybe you feel that fight, flight, or freeze instinct wanting to take over. I think most of us feel some sort of negative way about conflict, but actually conflict can be healthy and it need not be seen as a negative thing. In fact, have you ever considered that God might have allowed you to be in a conflict in order to do something in you? I know that that's not my first natural thought when I am engaged in a conflict. But it's good to pause and ask ourselves, you know, what is God doing in this situation? What does he want to accomplish in me or through me in this conflict? Because conflict is actually an opportunity for us to glorify God. And I think it can be really helpful to train our brains when we end up in a frustrating situation or in a conflict to go, this is actually my opportunity to glorify God rather than something to be avoided. So where does conflict come from? Well, we do get a little bit of insight into this from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So you see, when we have unmet desires, these easily become demands, and demands are idols. Because an idol is anything that we must have for our happiness or contentment apart from God. So anything that we think we have to have in order to be happy or content apart from God is an idol. And in conflict, these desires easily become demands. And when they do, we inevitably judge and we punish the other person. So we say things like, I want this thing and you must get it for me. So we're judging. And then we say, if you don't get it for me, I'm going to make your life uncomfortable. And so we punish. And as James says, we scheme and kill and we fight and wage war because we have made our desires an idol and we're no longer trusting God to meet our needs. But as we have established, as children of God, we are called to be peacemakers. 
we are called to take a different route. And thankfully, there is another route we can take. So let's talk about some practical steps that we can take in order to be peacemakers and resolve conflict in a God-honoring way. So we're going to look at mostly what we do when someone has offended us, when we have had some harm done to us. And we're going to talk about forgiveness and these three aspects of forgiveness, which are releasing, reconciling, and restoring. Now, forgiveness can be very hard. And yet, when we harbor an unwillingness to forgive, it is poisonous to us. And I want you to understand that this is not hyperbole. Withholding forgiveness is a, is a very serious deal, and it does harm us. When we're unwilling to forgive, we become bitter, unloving, angry people. And I don't want to make things weird, but I also think that unwillingness to forgive is often behind some physical ailments and anxieties in our lives. Withholding forgiveness puts us in bondage, and it makes us sick. It's a poison. And therefore, it's very important that we forgive those who have wronged us. You know, Jesus actually takes forgiveness pretty seriously as well. And I, when I think about my sins, I'm very grateful for that. But listen to these scriptures. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And Jesus' own words, Matthew 6, 14 through 15, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. You know, I think we can see how hypocritical it is if we're willing to receive forgiveness for our sins from God, but we're not willing to extend forgiveness to others who have wronged us. In fact, Jesus tells a story, you might remember this parable, he tells a story of a servant who owes his master a lot of money, and his master forgives the debt, and then that servant goes out and finds people who owe him just a little bit of money, and he demands that they pay it, and he forces them to pay it. And I think that story is supposed to make us a little bit angry. We're supposed to go, that's not right, he shouldn't do that. He had his debt forgiven, and then he demanded others pay the debts they have against him. That's not fair. And it's true, it's not. That, it's almost silly how, hypo- how hypocritical it is. And yet, I know in my life, I'm very eager to have my sins forgiven by God. I'm way less eager to forgive other people's sins. I don't know if you feel that way as well. I think we probably all do. <laughs> but uh, just because it is important and necessary for us to forgive does not make it easy. And so if you're feeling uncomfortable right now, I just want you to know that it's common to feel that way. This is not an easy thing. And I think part of why forgiveness can become so excruciating is because forgiveness is often misunderstood. I mean, don't get me wrong, forgiveness is really hard even when it's understood correctly. But when it's misunderstood, it can be almost impossible and even unhealthy at times. So just a couple notes on what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not excusing, minimizing, or forgetting an offense. So when we forgive, it's not saying that there wasn't an offense. We're not minimizing it, pretending it was, oh, it's no big deal. Uh, We're not making excuses for it. We're not um, living in a false reality of like, oh, I don't even remember, remember what happened. 
Because forgiveness is not excusing, minimizing, or forgetting an offense. And we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but forgiving someone may be different than trusting someone. I think it can be helpful to separate those ideas, that forgiveness may be different than trusting someone. A cousin Nathan in his book on love, I'm just going to make Nathan steal all of our cousins for today, okay? So cousin Nathan, uh, he says that forgiveness chooses to acknowledge the negative effects or outcomes of a person's behavior on us. Forgiveness then releases our attempts to control those negative effects and outcomes to the Holy Spirit. So when we forgive, we are acknowledging that there are negative effects because of somebody's behavior. And then we're releasing our attempts to control those things. Uh, Sometimes I think when we've had a wrong done against us, we um, have these expectations that this wrong wouldn't, you know, we should be able to expect that this person wouldn't hurt us in that way. And often that's a good expectation. That's true. You should be able to expect that. But the reality is that they have done this thing. And in a healthy way, we need to acknowledge that that has been done. So often we strive and try to control the reality and try to make it like that it didn't happen or something. But that's not healthy. That's not even reality. And so Cousin Nathan goes on to explain that when we release control of how we think a person should act or behave, we release those expectations and we accept the reality of what has been done and we entrust it all to God. So this does bring us to the first aspect of forgiveness, and that is to release. We need to release the debt. And this step of releasing the debt happens alone, just between you and God. But how do we go about releasing a debt? Well, I was thinking back on my life and times when I've um, walked through this, and I think it's helpful to just start by acknowledging the wrong that was done and tell God how you feel, tell God how it hurts, and try to come to a place where you can accept the reality of the loss or the, and, and let me say that again, come to the place where you can accept the reality of the loss or the hurt and place the offense in God's hands. Come to a place where you can choose to trust Jesus to fill what was lost and to heal what was wounded. Then this step of releasing the debt is a decision. So I find it's really helpful to actually just state my forgiveness, to to actually say, I forgive so-and-so for such and such. (laughs) And even um, to write that down in my journal, I find it's really helpful to have stated my forgiveness so clearly because inevitably the pain starts to surface again. And when it does, if I've made a choice to forgive, if I've stated that forgiveness, I can better uh, avoid the temptation to, to take back my forgiveness and instead pick up bitterness and anger and retaliation. Uh, because I've stated my forgiveness, it helps me to kind of double down on my choice to forgive and to uh, reaffirm my trust in Jesus to fill what was lost and to heal what was wounded. Now, sometimes the pain is surfacing because I need to realize that there's just more healing that needs to be done. And then other times, it may be that I'm just realizing that there are more consequences than I first understood. For example, Cousin Nathan tells a story about, you know, if I punch you in the eye, uh, you'll need to forgive me for that, the pain that that causes. You'll have to walk around for a couple days with a black eye, and you have to explain to people what has happened. And, and so those are the consequences that you carry, and you'll need to forgive that. But as your eye heals, let's say you go, you're still having problems, and you go to the doctor, and the doctor says that there's permanent damage to your eye. Well, now you're understanding a further consequence that at first you couldn't foresee because it's an eye injury, get it? A little bit of a joke there? (laughs) That was pretty bad, wasn't it? (laughs) 
I stumbled into that joke as I was preparing. I was like, I gotta say that. But, but the truth is, sometimes we understand more consequences as life goes on, things that we didn't understand at first. And so really what's happening is you now have more consequences that you need to circle back and, and, uh, and forgive. And so that could be another reason why the pain is resurfacing. But I find it helpful if I have stated my forgiveness, if I've made that choice, to, to double down on that. And so I think that's a helpful step. Um, as I said, forgiveness can be excruciating. And we really do need God's help to forgive. And thankfully, he is the great forgiver. And he gives us the strength to forgive like he has forgiven us. And so as we are willing to release an offense, it can be possible for a relationship to, that is in conflict to move to the next step, which is reconciliation. But before we talk about reconciliation, I want to just point out that there are some instances where releasing the debt is the only step necessary, and there are some instances where releasing the debt is the only step available to us. And so let me explain what I mean. There are some times, some instances, where it is wise to just overlook an offense, we may choose to do that. Proverbs 19.11 says, It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And Ephesians 4.2 says, Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You see, there are times where it is wise to just overlook an offense. This is often a good choice with minor offenses. Overlooking offense, though, is different than sweeping it under the rug, because we're not pretending that there wasn't an offense. We're saying there was an offense, but it is small enough that I can just overlook it. I can make allowance for this fault, and I can move on with peace and harmony in the relationship, and I don't even need to bring it up with this person. So that's one instance where releasing the debt is the only thing necessary. Another situation where releasing the debt is the only step available to us is when it is impossible to have a conversation with your offender. And this can be because the person is unwilling to engage in the process with you. Cousin Nathan says, for relationships to be fully reconciled, it takes both individuals sacrificially loving and preferring each other. So if, if the offender is unwilling to show repentance and engage in reconciliation, then we must remain open to reconciliation on our part, on our side, but we may also understand that reconciliation may not be possible for us until both parties are ready to engage in it. In other cases, the, the person may be unable to engage in the process in the, in the case where the person has died, where the, the offender has passed away. It would be impossible to interact with them, and yet it's still really important that we forgive what has been done uh, through releasing the debt. So however, when, however and whenever it's possible, as peacemakers, we take the first step of releasing the debt, and then we move to invite further steps of reconciliation and restoration with our offender. With our offender. We move through the steps of forgiveness as far as we can, are able to go, as far as it depends on us. Remember that passage from earlier, Romans 12, 18, that says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So if the process of forgiveness stops here, it must not be because of us. We need to be willing to go further whenever possible. So now let's talk about that second step of reconciliation. Uh, from the Unloved book, reconciliation is the establishment of peace and harmony back into a relationship through the means of forgiveness and repentance. So when we step into reconciliation, peace and harmony is established in the relationship, and this happens through the extending of forgiveness and the showing of repentance. 
So as we explore what it means to reconcile, I think it can be kind of like, um, like reconciling a checkbook. Does anybody here not have a checkbook? I actually don't have a checkbook. Yeah, all right. I think there are more and more of us. Does, has anybody here ever like never had a checkbook? Yeah. <laughs> if I have to write a check, I have to go to the bank and get a check, and then I can write a check. But so for those of you that don't <laughs> use checkbooks anymore, let me just explain. There used to we would carry around these checks to make purchases. <laughs> and <laughs> And inside the checkbook was also this ledger where we would write down how much money was in our account. And then for every purchase, we were supposed to then write down what we purchased and subtract that. And then you knew how much was in your account. Because this was before we could just pull up our account on our bank app on the phone. And now I feel like I'm, I'm very old or something, like <laughs> explaining a, just a whole different time. But it's true. That's what we used to do. And that was called balancing your checkbook or reconciling your checkbook. And I think it can be a helpful picture of what happens in a relationship when we reconcile a debt or an offense that has happened. It's sort of like we know where the relationship stands, like both parties are involved. We know what the debt was, what it costs, and we know what the deficit is, and, and everybody's on the same page. And so the debt is resolved because we've released it. There's been repentance shown. And it may not mean that trust is restored in the relationship, but the foundation is laid where trust may be earned back. Through forgiveness, the release of the de- or forgiveness and the release of the debt has been extended to the offender, and it has been received by the offender through repentance. And so the checkbook has been balanced, so to speak. See, we've already released the debt, and it's true that we may be living with a deficit in our lives, but remember, we're trusting Jesus to fill what was lost and to heal what was wounded. And so we extend forgiveness and uh, and through reconciliation, where both parties are involved, extending forgiveness, showing repentance, the relationship can begin to have peace and harmony established once again. But, you know, I think entering into a reconciliation conversation with someone can be really scary. Uh, this is where we may have to confront an offense. We may have to tell somebody that what they did hurt us. And I think it can be really important to have done work on the first step of releasing the debt. Otherwise, we'll enter into this conversation with all kinds of demands and maybe seeking to hurt or retaliate more than invite peace. And that's what we're doing. We're offering reconciliation, so we're trying to invite peace. And so it can, it can be really important that we've done the first step of releasing the debt. It's always better to enter into reconciliation after we've released the debt to God When we've released the debt, we can invite our offender to reconcile with us. Now, as I said, I think it can be scary when I've had to prepare for a conversation like this. I found it helpful to use some resources from this Peacemaker pamphlet. So they uh, call these the four G's, which is kind of a cheesy name. But, um, but if you are finding yourself needing to prepare to have this kind of conversation with someone, I think these working through these steps can be really helpful. So let's just walk through these briefly. The first G is glorify God. Start by seeking God. Where is God in this situation? Because have you considered that God may have allowed you to be in this conflict in order to do something in you? Because God really does use conflict to transform us. And conflict is actually an opportunity for us to glorify God. So that's the first G. The second G is get the log out. And that just comes from Jesus tells the story, you know, why do you try to help your brother get a speck out of his eye when you have a whole log in your eye? The idea is that conflict is often complex, and even though we know that an offense has been committed against us, 
we often have brought our own offenses into the mix. And so it's important that we own our part of the conflict. So number two, get the log out. Number three, gently restore. Remember, we are inviting reconciliation. Galatians 6.1 says that if a brother is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So we are gentle, we avoid things like gossip, and we talk graciously and personally with our offender. And the fourth G is go and be reconciled. We just have to have the conversation because we actively pursue genuine peace however it is possible. Remember, we are children of the king and we're called to be peacemakers. Josh actually said last week that peacemaking is the family business. I love that. It's what God is about. And when we are in his family, that's what he invites us into. It's the family business. And now this whole time we've been focused on what to do when somebody has offended us. But like I said, we're so capable of being the offender in any given conflict. And so when you have hurt somebody or you find yourself on the receiving end of uh, um, reconciliation conversation, that's kind of hard to say. You should try saying that sometime. (laughs) Reconciliation conversation. When you're invited into that type of conversation, uh, it is important that we uh, engage in repentance and understand that trust may need to be rebuilt, and we need to apologize. And so the Peacemaker material has some helpful advice on how to craft a solid apology. And so next time you have to apologize to someone, I'd encourage you to think through these things. I think you'll have a much more solid apology and a a better um, effectiveness in bringing reconciliation to that conflict. So let's just walk through these briefly as well. These are called the seven A's of apologies. The first one is address everyone involved. Speak to all those whom you've affected. And the second A is avoid if, but, and maybe. You know, it's really easy to try to excuse our, our behavior, um, but we really need to not do that. If we're owning what we've done, we shouldn't give excuses. And so if we avoid if, but, and maybe, that'll help us to, uh, to avoid giving excuses. The third A is admit specifically both your attitudes and your actions. And the fourth A is acknowledge the hurt, express sorrow for hurting someone. The fifth A is accept the consequences, such as making restitution and understand that trust may have to be rebuilt. And the sixth A is alter your behavior, change your attitudes and actions. And finally, number seven, ask for forgiveness. So when we invite peace, we invite reconciliation. But remember, forgiveness is diff- or it may be different than trust, and trust may have to be rebuilt. And so finally, we come to this last step of our process where we've forgiven and released the debt. We've been able to successfully have worked through a reconciliation process where both parties participated. Then the relationship can move into restoration. And from the Unloved book, restoration is the extension of full access and trust to the offending person. See, I think restoration is about trust. It means that the relationship is rebuilt to the place it was or even better than it was before. But understand that whether you are the offender or the person who's been offended, that trust does have to be rebuilt, and it can take time. 
And so we need to have wisdom. You know, not everyone should have complete access to us. And we know this. That's why we say stranger danger. Like, not every, you shouldn't trust everybody. We're not actually called to trust everybody. So we need to have some wisdom and some discernment with how much trust we give in a given relationship. And even though we are cautious, that it might be wise to be cautious about this, even though that's true, we really do need to be pro-restoration in our lives. Because as peacemaking followers of Jesus, we desire restoration, even though we understand that it is not always possible. But remember, as far as it depends upon us, we are to live at peace with everyone. So we've looked at these three steps. We release every debt. We reconcile and restore whenever possible. But something I love about this is, think about God, the creator and initiator of all forgiveness. You know, he forgives us in the same way, doesn't he? Look at when Jesus uh, hung on the cross, he forgives. He releases the debt. And he says in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You know, he has done everything on his part uh, to reconcile the debt that we have against him. And he has done this in the most incredible way. By paying the debt himself, he absorbed the debt himself. And yet, God's grace is not applied to us until we repent and put our, our faith in him. When we come to Jesus and place our faith in him, we are reconciled to God. Colossians 1.22 says, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body, as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. The checkbook has been reconciled. And you know, the promise that we have of eternal life is the completion of a restored relationship with God. Romans 5.11 says, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. And so in a few moments, we'll close by singing a song together. And I just invite us to celebrate that God forgives us in this incredible way, that we who have placed our trust in him are friends of God. I think that's one of the most amazing things that this incredible God, this holy God, invites us close and calls us his friends, that we can know God. He promises to never leave us. He's close to us. And so we can celebrate that as we sing. But perhaps also you, you can sense that God is calling you to take some further steps of peacemaking in your life. Um, maybe as we talked about releasing a debt, you can think of some past wound or hurt that still plagues you. And maybe you even find yourself in bondage to it. You know, it can feel impossible to walk this path of peace. Uh, but Jesus invites you to start. Maybe you even feel like, yeah, but you don't know what was done to me. And that's true, we, we don't know. In this room, there's probably incredible hurts and wounds that have happened. But Jesus does understand, and he invites you to start. And he will not make you do this alone. And you don't have to cheapen the process or pretend that it's easy when it's really hard. But will you trust in him? Will you be willing to forgive the way he has forgiven you? And so as we close with the song, I just invite you to, to make that decision to begin that journey. One other thought I'll share with you, as I share principles like this, or any time you hear biblical principles just shared, I think it can be difficult to try to apply those to our lives. And I was thinking it's kind of like an obstacle course. I don't know if you have seen the, the show American Ninja Warrior, where they have to compete through this obstacle course. 
it's kind of like um, all of these principles are obstacles that you have to hit to complete this course successfully. Uh, we have to release the debt. We have to offer reconciliation. We need to restore whenever it's possible. So just like an athlete looking at this obstacle course, they have to do the rope swing thing. They have to climb the wall. They have to leap across the water, whatever it is. They have to hit all those things to successfully complete the course. And yet there may be some training that's needed. There might be some uh, coaching to navigate this successfully, a coach might say, what if you strengthen this muscle group, or what if you approach the jump this way, or whatever. And I think when we look at these principles, it can be kind of like that. Like, we need to do these things, but as you think about, how do I apply this in my situation? It, there may be some different, uh, you know, skills and uh, some different help that you need from the Holy Spirit. So I just encourage you to, to reach out to God and let him coach you and guide you through this. And maybe even seek counseling or that type of thing, some, some good godly coaching to help you navigate these principles. But as the worship team comes forward, let me just pray for us. And, and as we sing, let's celebrate God's forgiveness. Let's uh, have some conversation with God and, and make the decision to follow him into peacemaking in whatever situation he's speaking to you about. So let me pray for us. Lord, I, I'm just really grateful that you do forgive us in this incredible way. God, your forgiveness and your mercy is uh, it's just so great. You forgive anything and everything. We make it so complicated sometimes, God, but it's so easy with you. And when it comes to our own sin, we're incredibly grateful for that, God, that you are, you are uh, faithful and just to forgive us our, of our sins. And Lord, then you give us this hard challenge sometimes. You say, forgive as you've been forgiven. And Lord, often we, when we've really been hurt, we don't want to do that. And yet you call us to hard things sometimes, and, and we recognize how hypocritical it is of us to, to refuse to forgive when you've forgiven us so, so incredibly. So God, I pray that you would give us courage, the Holy Spirit, that you'd empower us to walk as peacemakers, that we could enter into conflict in a way that truly brings glory to you. God, that we wouldn't be uh, afraid in an unhealthy way, but that we would uh, recognize that this is an opportunity to bring glory to you. So give us wisdom, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.